0: Welcome to Givers, Doers, and Thinkers. Today we talk to Professor John Cuddeback about the art of crafting a joyful, rich, and worthy life. Let's go. Givers, Doers, and Thinkers introduces listeners to the fascinating people and important ideas at the heart of American civil society. We speak with philanthropists, reformers, social entrepreneurs, nonprofit executives, religious leaders, scholars, journalists, and anyone else who will help us understand contemporary civil society's achievements and failures. My name is Jeremy Beer. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Givers, Doers, and Thinkers. We are recording on November 6th, 2023 from Phoenix, Arizona. At least I am. Um, My guest today is not in Phoenix, Arizona. I believe he is in Front Royal, Virginia. And his name is John Cuddeback, professor of philosophy at Christendom College. But more importantly, for our purposes today, the founder of an enterprise called Lifecraft, through which John and others teach people how to fashion a vibrant life for themselves and their loved ones. John lives in Front Royal, Virginia with his wife, Sophia, and one of their six children. Only one remains at home, he tells me. Uh, John received his Ph.D. from the Catholic University of America and has taught various courses in philosophy at Christendom for 28 years. He writes often for both academic and non-academic publications and is the author of a book, a very good book, called True Friendship, Where Virtue Becomes Happiness. I get the feeling that most of his time outside the classroom is now devoted to operating and building Lifecraft, which grew out of John's popular blog, a blog that was called Bacon from Acorns. John Cuddeback, welcome.
1: Jeremy, great to be with you. Did I get most of that right? You sure did.
0: All right, good. We don't start with errata. We can move right on to our conversation. That's always a a plus. We'll start here. Uh, What is the problem you founded
1: Lifecraft to solve? That's a very good philosophical question. I like it very much. I'd put it to you this way. The problem, I think, is people really wanting something very good, a certain kind of life in their home, I'd say especially, especially in their relationships, in their family, with their neighbors. Whatever stage they are in life, they want to have a certain rich kind of life that they're running into trouble of finding it difficult to do, and sometimes for not clear reasons. Right? And, and I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, dump on the, the world in which we live has has many wonderful aspects. But then again, I'm going to be kind of straightforward. I think that in many ways, major currents of the society in which we live are kind of undermining our ability. To live especially the kind of relationships and the kind of rich life, especially in our homes, that we so naturally crave. And so people have a sense that, hey, it's not going the way I'd like it to go here. I'd like to be doing something different. A, A lot of young parents, a lot of older parents, a lot of new grandparents, a lot of people looking towards marriage who just, they see trouble either on the horizon or it's on the waves that are crashing up against the ship right now. And I... It just so happens in the world that I have moved in, I've had a lot of opportunity as a philosophy professor to reach some great thinkers, a lot of very wise people, a lot of, get a lot of great principles about the good life. I know that sounds trite, but honestly, from being in the classroom and really rolling up my sleeves and working on it and talking about things like, like friendship and family and community, good work and leisure, I've really had the opportunity to see good philosophy Makes a huge difference for people. And so the problem was they need principles. People need kind of the principles to give them some guidance and to give them some encouragement that they can find that kind of life that they're struggling to find.
0: So the problem is that people no longer know how to live the good life. Yes. You say that they've somehow been cut off from the transmission of the, of the uh, information and principles and wisdom that once sort of told you what that was?
1: Yes, exactly. Thank you for saying, for saying it so briefly. Let me give you a quick example, Jeremy. I think one of the big problems we have is just particularly with so many of the technological practices that have become so standard for us to just live in the presence of people. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's so huge, Life is so much about living together, living in the real presence of one another and the bodily presence. This is being threatened. You don't need, we don't need to go on a little thing here about those young people, but frankly, it's true especially young people, are finding that very difficult. They don't have the habits. They don't have the contexts where they've learned these basic, let's just call them life skills, life principles. And and honestly, we're all struggling with that. And so in many ways, we have to go back to basics. We have to go back to very ordinary things, kind of rethink it and refocus.
0: What are the symptoms that you see? Like I, I imagine that most people, even at Christendom College, don't come up to you and say, I just don't quite know what the good life is. Right. And they don't even know that that's the question, uh, that they're, they're experiencing some, some unhappiness, some sort of symptoms that are reflective of a, of a sort of deep existential unfulfillment. What would you say are the symptoms that you see? I mean, maybe you can even just elaborate more on like, what's it mean to not be present with somebody?
1: Yeah. Well, well, good. Well, how how about this? I'm going to kind of take both of those right together. It's relationships, Jeremy. It's it's relationships and especially those that are most important in our life. You know, I mean, it's I mean, you you, you think of the you think of the song Cats in the Cradle. This is not this is not just some offbeat song. This is actually the life story of many, many people. Uh, Take it from the viewpoint of the guy in the song. He's growing up as a a boy and a young man and, and, and his dad is just too busy. But his his dad is not a particularly bad man, but he's just too busy. I mean, and he really is too busy, and he doesn't get it, and he doesn't realize that, and he's not connecting with his son. And, and, and next thing you know, you got a bad relationship there. You got the loneliness, you got the unhappiness, and then it just goes on. The next thing you know, this guy that was too busy now he's going into retirement, and and he's starting to experience. Hey, I'd like to have I like to have certain kind of relationships. You know, how many people moving into retirement, they just aren't buying what so much society is trying to sell us of those golden years where you're going to look like the person up there on the billboard, you know, playing tennis is just going to make it all absolutely perfect. Hey, I'm I'm all for tennis and I'm all for, you know, doing a little water skiing, maybe, you know, on the lake. But, but human happiness is fundamentally in, in these quality relationships, these re- rich relationships well lived out. And these things don't happen by accident. We need to learn how to do them. We need to have context for doing them. But we, we steadfastly as a society are pretending as though those things are secondary or as though they'll just kind of fall into place and experience is showing they don't fall into place. They have to be prioritized. And if they're going to become what's so essential to our happiness, so broken, weak relationships or just non-existent
0: relationships are really the fundamental sort of sources of, or fundamental sort of
1: symptoms. They are. And I'd say, especially, especially with the people that matter most and and and, and there, Jeremy, you know, the people that we work with in the business world—it's very important—and some of our very, very good friends, of course, are going to be there. But I do think, I, hey, I'm, I'm painting in broad strokes, and you know, fight me, you know, push, push back. But sometimes you paint in broad strokes, you know, and we get a little bit of a picture. I think one way of characterizing the challenge of today is that we we've kind of forgotten about home. Home was always kind of the place where, well. We're most at home. But why Why are we most at home? Because it's a context for the most important relationships to really be lived out. But let's let's be honest. By and large, given our current practices, our homes have been eviscerated. We're, we're doing hardly anything there. The kind of ordinary things that would have been done there, that would have been the context, that would have been the foundation, would have been the place that we're really living, those closest relationships aren't there. That's kind of gone hand in hand with too often being overly invested in what I'm going to call quote career or profession not that obviously that's not very important right. and then and then and then it turns into a bit of a, of, of a cycle right I mean I talked to an awful lot of husbands kind of once they're starting to feel that alienation factor you know, at, at home it's just kind of hard to connect and it's a little easier for them maybe to connect at work Whoop. now you got kind of a vicious cycle going. And, and and it's taken them away from the things that, in their own heart, they feel are most important. But they kind of they're not sure what to do about it.
0: So, home becoming just a place to sleep and recharge our devices is sort of the challenge we have. Everything sort of everything meaningful or productive has been outsourced from the home to other institutions. Exactly. Yeah, and this is not new. I mean this this particular complaint has been around for a couple of generations now. I mean, I think. Some of our listeners will know a book by Christopher Lash called Haven in a Heartless World that was kind of about this problem, if I recall correctly, and many others have talked about it as a sort of like a compiling effect, like this sort of, it's sort of chickens are finally really coming home to
1: roost now after a couple of generations. It's hilarious, Jeremy, because that was literally the book that I was almost going to just quote here to you with the brilliant assertion that the outsourcing of production led ultimately to the outsourcing of reproduction. It's a very powerful argument. We, were, we removed the work from the home. And once you remove work from the home, then you basically you've removed kind of the backbone. So now there's not much for the children and the parents to do together. And so more and more of the raising the children likewise is going to be d- done outside the home. So the two things that had so much been going on there uh, have, have, have been, as you said, outsourced. And so, yes, I think, Jeremy, the chickens are coming home to roost, but 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 let's let's go positive here. I see. And this is what has absolutely inspired me in what I'm doing. I see many people We go back to what was the problem. Many people have a sense of a problem and they're looking for answers. They realize that they want something different. And you can you can see this all over the place in a lot of different in a lot of different ways. One of my one of my favorite authors on this is Wendell Berry. One way that Wendell Berry puts it, as I think you know, Jeremy, is is he speaks in terms of connections, all right? And and we have become so disconnected. We've become disconnected from our own body. We've become disconnected from our neighbors. We've become disconnected from our family. We've become disconnected from the earth. And so how do we try to reestablish these connections? I think this is such a powerful, powerful theme, home is the place where these most foundational connections are most natural. It's it, it's where we should find it most straightforward to connect, kind of with our bodies in in the simple things of eating, for, for instance, or connect with the earth because this little corner of the world is where we are going to be. You know, if the environmentalists are telling us we need to take care of the earth, whatever there's a there's a great message. In there, we do need to take care of the earth. Most importantly, starting in our backyard, because that's the part of the earth that I have a direct connection with, or I should experience a connection with. So, so I love this. I, I love this kind of theme of people are feeling disconnected. And you can see now how they are, they're looking to be reconnected right now. The slow food movement, the kind of back to find your farmer and kind of support him and connect, connect with him. Um, many ways that we're seeking to reconnect with our bodies because the, the, our tech, our, our digital paradigm has tended to remove us from our bodies. So people are realizing we need to think in terms of ways of turning it off. So I, I think these are very hopeful signs. We just need to really plug in and be serious and get intentional about it. Well,
0: this is what's so interesting to me about what you're doing. I mean, you and I both know collectively, I'd say at least two hundred people who are very good at diagnosing the problems <laughs> and are very, very bad at proposing solutions and certainly working towards them in a practical way. So that's what's really interesting about Lifecraft. You're not only a thinker, but a doer in, my, in the givers, doers, and thinkers paradigm we have here. So let's get down to some more specifics then. There are sort of four areas, if I'm correct about this, where Lifecraft provides, you know, practical advice and wisdom. And those four areas are friendship, work stewardship, and being a man. Oh, we'll come, I want to ask you why, why a man, maybe just because you're a man, John. Uh, maybe Sophia covers the being a woman part. But um, well, <laughs> let's go through each of those like one at a time, if you don't mind. And we'll um, start with start with friendship. You've written a book about it. You've, I know you've thought deeply about this in the context of your study of philosophy. I know Aristotle and Thomas in particular, very Thomas Aquinas, that is very important to you. What stands in the way of our ability to form lasting and deep
1: friendships today? Great question. How about this? I'm, I'm going to first say why I'm so absolutely intent upon it, it because the only way that I'm ever going to be the man, the person that I'm supposed to be, is going to be through the help of friends. And so I absolutely just start with this conviction. We're not, we kind of know that implicitly, but I don't think we tend to act that way. In a lot of the what's on the airwaves around us, what well, we hurt friends, friends, you know, relationships, connection. We don't really hear emphasized. No, you you need to go deeper especially with a few people. In general, we're pushed to kind of be connected with everybody, but go deeper with few. But the great tradition on friendship is you've got to go deeper with a very small number of people. You have genuine relationships of some kind with those others, but at the kind of the center of your life, what really chisels who you are is a deeper kind of relationship with few. So to answer your, your, with a few. So the other to answer what's keeping us from it there's a lot of different approaches. Just i to say, we don't have the context to go deeper. We're too busy. We're too often communicating with too many people on too many devices, on the run, not having the place opportunity to sit down and really have meals together, have a rich kind of work together, have a rich kind of leisure together, which is the kind of activities that friendships need to grow. How many men are there, and women, Jeremy, that... Yeah, they've got a lot of acquaintances. Sure, there's plenty of people they'll call their friends. I love to say to my students, and it often stops them in their tracks, and these are the young people, Say, look, really, how many people really know you? How many people really, really know you and care for you in addition to knowing you? Care for you and know you in such a way that they can really speak into your life, really, for instance, hold you accountable. This is an incredibly rare thing that shouldn't be so rare because it's so important for human life. So we've, we've lost those habits. I, I, I buy the premise.
0: <laughs> I, I, I buy the premise. So yeah, where do you start when you're instructing people and how do you start to form truly deep friendships?
1: Jeremy, you know what? I I, I, I say, look, you got, you got to start. We start here, start today, start wherever you are. And you got to know what you're looking for. And in any case, so you have to start to have some conception of what a real friendship looks like, and then start to be discerning about with whom can you do that. That's what so many people shy away from. This, they think that this is being overly judgmental, prejudiced. Well, I can't. I, I mean, can't you just be friends with anybody? And and the reality is, this is what this is one of the real sticking points. But this is where the this is where Aristotle, yeah, is is where Aristotle comes in. Called.
0: So go ahead and go down that. I right mean,
1: Aristotle is going to say you are only capable of real friendship to the extent that you have good moral character. I mean, it's just, it's just such a showstopper and it's just so obviously true and experience. And so I need to look at myself. I need to, the first question is, am I the kind of person that someone really would want to be friends with? Am I really the kind of person that's capable of rolling up my sleeves and helping someone else become himself. And and this is where it's so much about character and being able to enter into real, honest, humble uh, conversation where we do self-examination. Well, aren't the other aspects of having fun together important? Of course, those are the obvious things, but those are the things that do not make it a rich, deeper friendship. Those are things that take on a richness because of these other aspects of connecting on the deeper principles, the deeper convictions of life that we look to share and help one another growing in character together. So we just, we we set that as a resolution for ourselves and look for other people who are willing to do that with us. And then we set forth on the project, Jeremy. Does
0: this sort of thing in your mind sort of need to be intentional? Did you go around like, hey, I'm going to (laughs) make, I'm going to create a truly deep friendship with this person and I need to um, therefore uh, dive into certain topics or a level of conversation that I wouldn't otherwise do. That's the first question. The second question is how important is alcohol for men to be able to reach? that level of conversation.
1: Okay. All right. So, so the, the first question, which is, which is much easier, um, is you don't have to always, there's obviously a way that one could be kind of overly detent, intentional, overly hyper about it, but nobody, you asked the right question though, Jeremy. Because honestly, particularly today, where it doesn't come so naturally to us, so in many ways men especially find it hard to figure out you know, real ways to be together apart from the kind of most obvious, more slightly phony you know, masculine things that they do together. The biggest thing is I just say, Jeremy, people need to have friendship be a category they think about. It needs to be a category that you're, in a sense, it's always hovering in the back of your mind. And It doesn't get in the way, but it's, it's a prism through which you learn to relate better to people and to be realistic. I love to say to people, ne- ne- never pretend to have a deeper relationship than you do. N- another word of wisdom. Now this is a medieval, the great St. Alred on friendship. He says the desire, actually Aristotle said it too, the desire for friendship arises quickly. Friendship itself does not. So, so we have to be patient. So you have to take the long haul. You have to have the deep cultivation, like all most important things. But again, that runs contrary to the grain today. So we got We have to be patient. Maybe we're like, and then of course, your second question was obviously, Obviously, there has to be beer. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, obviously I'm kind of joking, but kind of not, right? Like the, the deepest and best conversations you have with somebody you really regard as a true friend or someone who could become a true friend. I, it, for at least four, I think, uh, I'm, I'm sure maybe it's the case for women too. I can't speak to their experience. I can speak to the male experience or my experience. You know, a glass or two of bourbon helps you get rid of some of the inhibitions <laughs> that
1: might be there for you to, to uh, enter it, that level of conversation. It, it, it does, Jeremy. And and, and I hope I, I'm, I'm not going to sound prudish just say what I'm about to say, but you know, it, perhaps it goes without saying. And on the flip side, the guy that you just never know whether he's going to go too far, you're not going to have good conversations with him. You know, I mean, this is, this is one of those areas of life where the great virtue of moderation or temperance, allows you to enjoy the gifts for what they really are and allows you to be a real man by knowing the appropriate limits and receiving the gifts of alcohol as something that really can raise your hearts together. But at the same time, it, you know, not done rightly, not done in a a virtuous way is going to kill the very thing you wanted to have. You want to stop before
0: you get into the brawl. Uh, exactly. uh, possible that 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 does it dampens friendship all right well look we're going to take a break we're going to come back with john cuttaback uh, founder of lifecraft and talk about work stewardship and being a man we're going to stay on this theme and then get in maybe some of the particulars of what you teach people to do at lifecraft we'll be right back with john cuttaback
1: Hey, folks, I'm Jack Fowler, the author of Civil Thoughts. That's the free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we try to strengthen civil society. Civil Thoughts gives you a dozen plus recommended readings. Here's a link. Here's an excerpt of important articles and essays that I've come across in the previous week. I think anyone who's intelligent, dear intelligent American, that you will like it. So how do you get Civil Thoughts? Well. You go to civilthoughts.com. Sign up. Trust me, it's totally free, risk-free. We're not selling your name to anybody. You'll enjoy it. Civilthoughts.com.
0: All right, we are back with uh, John Cuttback, the uh, founder of Lifecraft, and we had just been talking about friendship as one of the areas that in which uh, you provide. And for lack of a better term, like instruction, like how to, you know, help you, how to be, how to learn, how to become a better friend or how to develop true and genuine friendships. Let's move on to work. What do you see uh, as sort of our major challenges when it comes to work in this world today, John?
1: Yeah, gosh, you know, Jeremy, I, I'm, I'm I'm just going to be really provocative. I'm going to put it th- to you this way. And it's a deeper conversation, you know, but, but, but just as a starter here. I think we fundamentally tend to see work as something we get paid for, rather than as a way of living together with people. And there's a lot going on there. And surely, work is something that that sometimes we should get paid for. But you know what? A lot of the most important work is something we wouldn't think of being paid for. But the notion of work, I think, too much has been reduced to what we do in our profession and our being successful. By being paid, say, a certain amount for doing it versus a la Wendell Berry work as the kind of language of how humans forge a life together. Go back to the home, go back to the household. It's always the place that, that human nature is so calling out to us. that This is this great gift. This is the place where we especially discover and see who we are in the household we grow up in, in the household perhaps that we are called upon to form. At the center of what living together in a household used to be was a whole set of very ordinary kinds of works. You know, I, I was just, I was just giving a lecture in Kansas and I just, I just, I just said to people, I said, I just want you to picture something. Just go back a few generations. Those, those ancestors of yours, nobody works harder than them. No one today is a harder, more responsible worker than they were, but their life was not hectic. There was focus. It was kind of a center. There's real presence and there's importance of relationship. They knew who they are. They belonged their life was not frenetic. Think about the work that it's just so interesting to think about the kind of work. I mean, kind of the main kind of works that they were doing together with their loved ones was the, again, the kind of the ordinary language of how they live their life together. So Jeremy, where I'm pushing with this here is work out there in the profession is extremely important. And right now it's not my focus. My focus here is we need to build certain kinds of work into our home. So I'll tell you this much from my experience, it's one of the main things children are craving because it's one of the main ways children connect with their parents is being by being invited into the work of life. Every day with them. So, what kinds of work are you talking about? I mean, I can
0: imagine some listeners like I, you know, my subdivision doesn't allow chickens, so that's not going to work, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just making, I'm sort of joking about that, but that's obviously that is one thing. that Obviously, many people have taken up is sort of a way to bring some level of even symbolic productivity to the to the home. Something that children can be involved in as well. What do you have in mind
1: though when you're talking? I'm gonna be super practical. You, 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 I mean, you said you, know, you were eventually going to ask me, and so I'll kind of do. Two birds start with one stone here. What what do we like to do at Lifecraft? Really encourage you to revitalize your home by being very practical and concrete about building back into your home certain kinds of work. And each home needs to discern that wherever you are. And I'd like to make suggestions. And one, one author of mine, favorites of mine in the 1930s, he was an agrarian and he just said, one of the things that we're losing are the ordinary functions of human life. And many of the ordinary functions of human life are things like growing food. But apart from growing, that's why you rightly mentioned the chickens. But set that aside for a moment. Making meals. The, the work in a household, at least one thing we're always going to need to do is eat. And look, I appreciate just as much as the next person being able to order in a dinner sometimes. But I do say, honestly, in the name of the richness and depth of a shared life in the home, to be kind of intentional and think about, you know, the, the work that we can be doing together, that we're giving up as though it were something that is just a waste of time. Can we just get around this and get to the good food? We have missed the ordinary functions that actually are a gift. Making food together and the work that goes to sitting down at a table and eating and then cleaning up afterwards, that's a bit of work. And it's worthwhile work, particularly if we're invested in it together. It's a simple example, but something in all of our reach. Uh, The work of
0: education. Is that another suggestion you would have for certain families?
1: It absolutely is. All of it doesn't necessarily have to mean homeschooling. There is a certain work that we should be thinking about of what's involved in disciplining our children. But honestly, Jeremy, that's where I like to challenge people. You can't just, if you want to think about forming children real fast. You don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to form the children today, so let's just start forming. I'm going to discipline them, so I'm going to right now just, you know, kind of say, do this or don't do that. Work is the natural context where you teach responsibility. So finding these works is precisely the way that you're going to be doing also the deeper work of forming their soul, but as bodily beings, that's the, these kind of simple exterior ones, building things together, building, you know, building things out. I mean, any of the old. Old, old crafts doesn't have to be some from the earth painting. Absol- ab- ab- absolutely, I mean mechanics. These simple things we're losing. We're losing our ability. You see this especially in young men. They're losing the ability to do things with their hands, and they feel it. They feel less competence. I, I just wrote. I just wrote a piece on sewing, as I think something that is is a basic skill important for both men and women. We so easily look down our nose on it. For, for the, this is something classically the men and women were, were, were formed. And it gives you that sense of competence. these simple things. It's a structure of life together.
0: And I hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, she's trying to get me to learn to sew uh, for a while, John. So <laughs> she's very good at it. So. Not all these are for everybody. So we're, we're going to be all <laughs> no, right. I am. I am that guy who's terrible with my hands, but uh, I'm not the, proto- hopefully the prototype. Um, all right, let's move to stewardship. Although I could keep talking to you about work for for a long time, and friendship for that matter, but stewardship. How is this idea different from environmentalism, if if it
1: is different at all? Good question. And of course, I don't want to paint with too broad broad a stroke in what we call environmentalism, right? Many of us immediately think of maybe some particular positions there. I don't want to be careful on that because I'm not going to show too many of my cards here, but I'm all for a certain kind of environmentalism, and I'm not all for another Right. And and and, you know, the kind of the kind of environmentalism that would just undermine being able to uh, meaningfully take things, resources from the earth, I think is a kind of environmentalism that doesn't realize the kind of primacy of human life. It seems to me that, you know, ancients, religious and non-religious saw clearly, I think, an important truth that, um, there's a, there's a kind of hierarchy and that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you, that we treat the lower things in badly. What it actually means is, is given that by a natural ordering, you could say a divine providence. That lower things serve the life of higher things. That's a reason to take good care of them. But we have a responsibility to take care of them. But ultimately, so that we can use them for higher ends. Well, so I'm, I'm, I, I think a mistake some environmentalism can make is to kind of not see the human difference, and that's a big problem. But I, and but what you're just giving there is essentially sort of a definition of stewardship. It, it, it is. It, it, it is. No. No. Exactly. I think th- this is this is why I think the good philosophical uh, tradition ha- ha- it has the principles for the kind of environmentalism that could gather very strong support and that begins in the home because it is fundamentally a matter of stewardship, a matter of seeing the earth is a gift to us. The resources, the living things, the plants and the animals, they are a gift and they must be treated as a gift, and they must be well cared for, both for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of the next generation. This is just appropriate human life, always with generosity. Looks to those to come next, and so it, we build in that, that beautiful kind of spiritual significance of generously looking to others and thinking of them. I mean, it's like that great image in, in 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 Homer of of Odysseus's father as a very old man planting the tree. Right? This this is so such an important image of an old man planting a young tree because this will serve the needs of those who come after me there's stewardship there's a beautiful image of it in that and, and so what i'm calling stewardship there jeremy is a big gift that fits together to the other things that we've been talking about and, and especially here with good work stewarding and again even if you're, you're an apartment i do think especially in this day and age call me crazy go ahead I I think some kind of connection with the earth, some kind of connection with growing things always has a unique place, even if it's just that that basil plant on your on on your patio to be able to receive the gift of putting seeds in the ground, taking care and fruitfulness. there's There's such a there's a deep magic there. There's a deep wisdom that speaks to us, that teaches us to look beyond ourselves, to recognize a natural order, when we take, when we observe that order, when we have the humility to realize we can't just make it all be exactly as we wanted it, we have to follow a not natural pattern. These are fundamental life lessons that are being learned, that are being taught by the simple forms of stewardship, especially in a home, beginning with, even if you're not growing things, I mean, it's raking leaves, I honestly, how you think about whether we poison things or not, not just walking in, not just walking into the box store and buying the things they're trying to sell us without asking about how is this going to affect people's health and the animals and my neighbors? These are all very simple things that I think are, are, are more important than than we recognize.
0: And do you have in mind, uh, under the banner of stewardship, um, forms and patterns of consumption? Yes. Yes.
1: Well, well well said. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that, for bringing that out. Reasonable questions about, I mean, for instance, the great, the great ancient category of, of asking more, what do I need than what do I want? And need can be taken in a rich way. And this is not in a scrupulous way, but a sense of not being wasteful. Again, not of scrupulosity, but of thinking what's appropriate. And again, there's always gonna be different levels of wealth, but nonetheless, always having that in our mind. This was a gift given to all of us. How much of this are we using? How much are we returning? Are we taking reasonable steps that, that don't let people who go too far and don't articulate this well, have you and me miss the gift that it should be for us?
0: All right, John, we'll move on to the fourth category, the fourth lifecraft area, being a man. How do you why is that the fourth area? Like, how, how do you understand the problem
1: there? What, what is what is it you're trying to come So here's the thing. And, and it's a little bit more specific, although it is. And and it's it's more what I, I, I call being a man of the household. The fundamental pattern ultimately for all men is in the pattern of a home and a household and being a kind of husband and a father, even if not are all called to marriage, even if not all have children, like there's a sense in which all men, a very important sense are called to be fatherly. And the pattern of fatherhood is very much a pattern of a man recognizing his unique place in the household. So I put it to you this way, Jeremy, and and this is where I think it's, 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 it's bringing out something that has been hidden from us. In many ways you could even say kind of taken away from us so much more who we are as men so much more of our identity should be connected to what i'm called to do in my home as opposed to, and, and this is not saying i'm not called to do very important things out there in the business and professional realm and serving the broader society but it's but it's it's reminding men of this the kind of foundation if let's just say first of all if i am married my first responsibility is to my wife how am i as a husband i think this question is not made thematic enough for us and so this, this the idea here of, of man of a household is go back to those very basic things Maybe put put it this this way jeremy like let's think of our funeral what do we want to be said about us at our funeral it's especially we'd like to have said about us if we're married and then for blessed with children he was a good husband he was a good father he prioritized these relationships so being a man in the household to me is is knowing what relationships to prioritize and then how to unfold that. And Jeremy, neatly, I think that connects with all the other things. Being a man in the household involves having good friendships, starting with the friendships right in the home. It means cultivating good work in the home because that's one of, the, one of the main ways I'm going to connect with these people that connects also to the stewardship also, because that's one of the ways also I'm going to express my manhood and be able to do that in a way that's serving other people. Is that making sense? It it
0: does. I'm wondering if you have encountered. There's a certain sort of, I would say, almost comical figure that has arisen uh, uh, in in recent years, and it's the young man, this the sort of the, the uh, you probably be called in certain circles the tratty young man who has um, uh, overcorrected, shall we say, and become. Um, uh, really? Uh, and maybe usually this is more intellectualized, but just basically become sort of a sexist pig. Uh, have you have you encountered this character? Uh, have. <laughs> yeah. Y- yes, yeah. I know the number of young women who've encountered him and have complained about this character.
1: I have. Well, let, let let me let me say something about that. If there's one thing that marriage has taught me, Jeremy, it's that it's in marriage, in trying to be what I'm going to call here the man of the household, that I've had to learn. And I've had the opportunity to learn what the true gifts of woman is and how wrong all of the shallow, <laughs> all the shallow wrong biases, all of the selfishness, the, the how being a man of the household done rightly gives me an opportunity to discover my life as a man is about loving and serving them. And, and I say to you in all earnestness, I, I know the proof is going to be in the, in the pudding, Jeremy, but I, I know what you're saying about the young women who bump into these quote, traddy guys who are just a problem, they're a menace. The man of the household that I'm talking about, I'm not trying to be funny. It's the guy that every woman is dying to meet because he has his priorities straight. I wanted to make sure I gave you the chance to make that clear distinction. (laughs) But it is a character. Actually, it's something I
0: haven't really heard a lot about sort of in mainstream places, but it's a real problem. Um, And I'm sure what you're doing will help sort of correct for that. All right, what are you most surprised? Here's a question for you. People got life crap on this. So you you offer courses, you you have online stuff. You have in-person events, and you just had a big event. Our producer Katie Janice told me what do you, when people come to these things. They come to you; they're involved in these events. What are you most surprised that people want to know or don't know? Gosh,
1: a couple things. A couple things surprised me, and we, I'm here. I'm just going to go super positive. I'm surprised at the passion and the focus on, on 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 trying to figure out how to do something different, and then I'm surprised often at how how. Incredibly um, grateful people are to just hear a clear articulation of what many, particularly maybe some of our older listeners, would have thought. This is really obvious. This is this is just common sense, you know about about teaching responsibility and teaching. The, and the uh, one thing I love to talk about is the importance of manners. Right? I, I just gave a presentation on our digital habits and how we've changed our manners. To fit our digital habits, and this is a catastrophe. Young people don't know how to look people in the eye. They don't know how to introduce themselves, which which is a big problem when it comes to real conversations. And real conversations are critical for any meaningful relationship. And so they have a big fat problem beginning in them not having manners. And you just sometimes point this out, but you don't point it in a negative and carping way. And people are just like Hallelujah, of course this is what we want We've, we with these things have been taken away from us and and, and so it's it, it's the enthusiasm for going back to kind of basic things and, and their willingness to be kind of encouraged and then, and then they, they, then they just want to get in the weeds and say well how do you do this how do you recommend doing this they want very concrete specific things and that's what you're saying they don't just want to be told that their children and that they have a problem they want to just be given and and, and that's my whole thing hey wherever we are, this, we can be doing better. Let's just start in particular areas of our life, and we're and we're going to get more intentional about it. And we're we're gonna we're gonna ask the Lord to help us, and we're and we're going to do something better
0: here. To your point about the sort of almost a timidity that seems to be a little bit more uh, present among very young people at Halloween. My wife and I noticed a number of trick or treaters coming to our door, and this had never happened before. But kids, I'm saying, anywhere from eight to thirteen, would, would come up on the porch and just stand there. They wouldn't knock on the door. They wouldn't ring the doorbell. They just stood there hoping you would see them from the window. Like, what is going on here? This happened over and over again. There is a certain kind of, I know that's tangential to your point about manners, but it's one of the points I make over and over on this this podcast. the sort of risk aversion and timidity that is sort of grown by leaps and bounds among people. Uh, yeah in their younger generations, that it's going to be a real challenge for them. It's something definitely to try to overcome.
1: It, it, it is focusing on the deeper things of life is what gives people courage. I, I mean, real courage. Well, that, you're getting
0: to the source of it. I think you're exactly right. If, if you, uh, yes, if everything is all shallow in the shallows all the time, you uh, you will be anxious and and not courageous.
1: We have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be hopeful about. At one and the same time, we need to recognize we have some very, very big problems. They're going to take dramatic, awful approach to address, but to n- never, never be discouraged or to give up hope. And that's why I especially just like to, everybody has a home. Start in your own home. Don't care if you're a household of one, you're a household of two, you're a household of seven or 10. Start there. Live with dignity. Have good work have good leisure, exercise hospitality, talk about a lost art. There's so much of what we're talking about here can be is in the work of hospitality. What a place just to begin again of the simple richness that can be going on in our homes. Amen. Well John, uh, how can people
0: get involved with
1: lifecraft? life-craft.org. And everything's free, Jeremy. Everything is free. I didn't realize that. That's pretty good. I'm a 501c3. So I do accept donations and then people that really benefit. I just say, hey, can you give some donations here? But I don't ever want that to come in the way. And because I'm I'm convinced that so many people want to hear this, they're going to benefit from them. So so I I just simply make it free. I know people support it. So come and take take the courses. Man of the household, they're on demand. They're right there all the time. Dinner at home. Become a reader, a read aloud leader in your home. It's the simple stuff, how to spend Sunday in the rich way that you'd like your Sundays to be.
0: I thought Sunday was all about being anxious about Monday, John. <laughs> that's, that's My a, own experience of Sunday, at least when it gets to be about three or four o'clock.
1: Jeremy, I've got a video for you, man. <laughs> I, I, seriously, I'm one of your, I need, I'm one of your patients. I should cut it back. I need your help. We're all in this together. We're, we're going to go back to these basic things. So come, you can join, be a free member, get in there and be able to go in there and take those courses. And we have live, we have improv person things as online reading groups to give people the opportunity to read those stories that are going to enrich their lives. And then I want them to turn around and be reading out loud in their own home because reading aloud is something spouses should be doing, parents with children. So the simple things like this, I want to give you the resources to do and the resources are there.
0: My wife and I have reading Monday coming up this evening, John, where it's no, no TVs, no devices. It's it's reading. There we go. Way yeah, do you go? So that's my own contribution. You can I give that to you in life craft to take take it and do with it as you wish um i'm gonna use it as an example i love it life dash org it's the most practical application of aristotelian philosophy essentially not that anybody needs to care about that but that's that's in many ways what it is uh that i've ever seen so it's it's a really wonderful what you've built John. I wish you all the best with it.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you, Jeremy. Thanks so much for
0: having me. Thank you for being with us. John Cutterback of Lifecraft. Check it out. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, we invite you to subscribe and or rate and review this discussion on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcasts. And have a guest you'd like to hear from? Send your request to our producer, Katie Janice at kjanis at amphil.com That's K-J-A-N the US at amville.com.